0: Okay, so we're going to do something. You don't have to get out a sheet of paper. We're going we're gonna to take a quiz, okay? And this is not hard. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be graded. All I'm going to do is at the end, I'm going to ask you just h- how well you did as a group. So we're going to throw up a couple of questions up on the screen. Okay, so answer this question. This is rhetorical. Don't say them out loud. Which country has the largest population? What country in the world has the most people? What is the world's tallest mountain? What type of tree is the tallest? And who is America's richest man? Okay, you got those? You got those four. So the country that has the most people is what? China. China that is correct. The world's tallest mountain is Mount Everest. Mount Everest. The type of tree, that may be a little bit more difficult. Do you know that? The redwood. The redwood. And America's richest man? Bill Gates. So, China, Everest, Redwood, Bill Gates. How many of you got at least two of those four right? Okay. So, here's part two of the quiz. You ready? Here's part two. Don't answer them out loud. Which country has the smallest population? Okay. What's the world's smallest mountain? What type of tree is the shortest? And who is America's poorest man. Okay. Let's see. This, somebody said me. I got one out of four. <laughs> what country has the smallest population? Anybody know? Not Liechtenstein. Not <laughs> well, I, that would probably be true. I don't think anyone loves it. Vatican City. Okay. The world's smallest mountain. Anybody know it? Anybody been to or even heard of Mount Greylock? Okay? The world's... The, what, I don't know. I've never heard of it. It's too small. <laughs> what type of tree is the shortest? The dwarf willow. Okay? And America's poorest man is a guy named Jed Matthews. I told a story about the world's poorest man the other day. Jed Matthews in America owes $22.4 million from failed internet businesses. Now, Tell that story for a reason. <laughs> to illustrate this truth, we give much greater value to things that are big. I mean, we, we know Mount Everest is big because we've heard stories about it. We celebrate when somebody climbs it. We know Bill Gates is the richest man. We celebrate that because we, somewhere along the way, and we'll talk about where this probably came from, but we somewhere along the way bought into a belief that bigger is better, and it affects the way we see the world spiritually, it affects our spiritual lives, it affects the way we see church. For example, most of us know who Joel Osteen is because he's a pastor of a church that has, I think, somewhere around 45,000 people that come in on a Sunday. We read books by, or pastors do, we read books by guys like Andy Stanley in, in North Atlanta where tens of thousand people go to church. We read... Bill Hybels from Willow Creek in Chicago that are these big churches. And we make this assumption. We wouldn't, we wouldn't say it like, uh, as gospel truth, but somewhere inside we make this assumption that if, if they're that big, then God must be doing something huge. And on the flip side... We don't spend a lot of time studying, talking to, hearing any of the stories of what God is doing in the church that's in Williamson County that runs 60 people. In fact, we live here and probably couldn't even name 10. We, we don't know. And again, we would never say God's not working in someplace small, but we act that way. We have this kind of understanding or this feeling that, man, if God's doing something, it's blowing up. And undoubtedly, I, I, I would not arguing that God's not. Uh, I read Andy Stanley. I read Bill Hybels because I do believe God is doing stuff there. But that's not the only place God is doing things. But we celebrate that bigger is better. And then that translates over to our spiritual lives. Some of us have felt this way before. If I just had more money, I could be more effective for the gospel. If I just had more time, if I was, if I had my own, my business was at this point. I could, I could take time away, and I could go do a mission trip. I could, I could then serve. If I just had a a bigger business that gave me more time, and that's not the case. I mean, if I just had a bigger understanding of God, had I gone to seminary or if I had read some book, then God would use me. And this idea that bigger is always better, and it comes it comes from our culture. I mean it does. We we get inundated that all the time. A bigger house means you're wealthier, a bigger car is better. I mean like if you had to choose and or not you had to choose, if you had to look at two people, you would automatically stereotype. If there was like a guy driving a Hummer and he was right next to a guy driving a Prius, you'd make you'd make a stereotype, you'd make a judgment. I mean most of us would, right? We'd go, that, who would win in a fight? Obviously, the guy driving the Hummer because he's tougher. I mean, we, we think that because bigger in our mind, bigger is, is better. When I was a kid, you guys might remember this. It happened when I, it turned, happened when I was five. 7-Eleven introduced the Big Gulp. And I remember... I don't remember when it happened because I was too young when it came out, but I remember as an elementary schooler, as a 10-year-old, there's no way our parents would have let us, like, buy a Big Gulp. It was 30 ounces of soda. But there were those times when we were staying the night at a friend's or we were someplace, and it was a different world, and you could go, you know, walking down to the 7-Eleven, and, and, man, it was like we're going to buy a big, 10-year-old Big Gulp. And, you know, it was like, it, it was like you had arrived. You know, and we're, I'm more mature now. I do Slurpees. Um <laughs> But you know, I, I remember, and we would get every flavor. We called it a suicide. We you know, get every drink in there. And, and, and we'd be walking down the street like we owned the street, because we, we had our big gulp. 30 ounces of soda, but then 7-Eleven came out with the super big gulp. It was 40 ounces. Then they came out with the double big gulp that was 50 ounces. They did some other things that they've later retracted, but Kentucky Fried Chicken now has the mega jug. This is what it looks like. It's like a it looks like a Paint can handle on the top. It's look. It's 64 ounces of your favorite soda. That's a half gallon. That's 850 calories, which is half of what you should intake during the course of a day. 64 ounces is what they're selling because bigger is better. 64 ounces is twice the amount that the average adult stomach should be able to hold. That's, they say that if you were healthy, it would take you four to five hours to drink a mega jug. And when you did, you would have ingested 43 teaspoons of sugar. Now, I'm going to pass this around because as you hold this and you think of the mega jug, um, I'm going to pass it back this way and we'll work it. Anybody can catch it? You ready? Here we go. Oh if that had exploded, that would have been terrible <laughs> And awesome at the same time. Um, Not for Mr. Nix, but that would have been cool. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's 43 spoonfuls of sugar. (laughs) This is the greatest part of the story. If you bought that at Kentucky Fried Chicken, this is true. They donated a dollar to Diabetes Research. (laughs) True. Give me the dollar. I'll shake your hand and go, you're going to get diabetes. There's your research. (laughs) Bigger isn't always better. A bigger house may just mean more rooms to clean. A bigger car just may mean less gas mileage, and it may mean a harder place to park. As a sports star, football players, bigger and better. What we're seeing now is all kinds of medical issues, of concussions, because guys are getting bigger and stronger and faster. And we would look back and go, I don't know if in the long run it's better. Back when I was drinking 7-Elevens, before I matured to Slurpees, I used to watch professional wrestling. And this week, this guy, his name is the Ultimate Warrior. He passed away. When he died, he became, well, let me give you some history. This weekend, they had WrestleMania 30. He wrestled in WrestleMania 6 24 years ago. In the past 24 years ago, when the Ultimate Warrior passed away this week, what it meant was one-third of the athletes who wrestled in WrestleMania 6. Are now dead. To put that in comparison, the Super Bowl of the same year, only one person that played in that Super Bowl of the same year 24 years ago has passed away. But one third of the rosters of this wrestling group are dead, and the oldest person at the time of their death was 63. That was the oldest person. But in this industry, these guys to look like this have to do steroids, and they have to put things in their body and painkillers because they have to be big. You can't. Nobody's paying seventy dollars per for a pay-per-view to see me put on a pair of tights, right? Right. It's seventy, right? Everybody's like, "Amen, hallelujah!" So for these guys to succeed, for them to get the pay, they have to be bigger. And what we find out is, bigger isn't always better. Sometimes we have to step back and go, maybe culture has lied to us. And what we're going to find out, and I want you to be thinking remedy, and we're thinking about being a a remedy to a broken world and joining Jesus in his ministry. Sometimes, well, actually, let's just say oftentimes, Jesus uses small things to do big stuff. And we're looking at a passage in Luke chapter 13. If you have your Bible, flip over there. Luke chapter 13. We're going to read, uh, if you have a red letter edition, it's going to be words in red. We're going to read what Jesus says. But this, this comment comes from Jesus shortly after he's come across a woman who for 18 years has had a, a disability. The scripture says she couldn't straighten up. So a bone issue, a muscle issue. I don't know if she was hunched over what the case was. We know she couldn't straighten up. For 18 years, she had this issue. And Jesus comes to the scene and Jesus heals her. And when Jesus heals her, it happens to be on the Sabbath. He did a lot of Sabbath healing. And the religious leaders get upset once again. And this debate ensues between Jesus and the religious leaders. And at the end of that, Jesus says these words in verse 18. Chapter 13 of Luke. He said, therefore, what, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now when you walked in this morning, I handed you what some of you still think is an empty Ziploc bag. But if you'll look really closely, it's not empty. Inside that Ziploc bag. Is a mustard seed. Now, I need you to keep. I need you to leave these behind because we need them on Wednesday for our students so they can see. But, but how many of you just by show of hands? I'm curious. How many of you thought it was an empty bag? Because you, okay, you didn't even realize there was something in it. That Jesus gives this this visual, and again, this is an agricultural society. Most of us. It took me like 10 minutes at HEB just to find mustard seed. You know. But in that day and age, as as an agricultural uh, group of people, this was something they would have understood. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed. It's this very small thing that God takes and he plants and it grows into a, a tree. The tree that grew out of a mustard seed, that mustard seed you're holding, if planted and, and sprouts, turns into a tree that can grow upwards of 12 feet tall, two feet taller than a basketball goal. And it spreads out and birds make their nests in this tree. And Jesus' point, he says, the kingdom of God isn't always what you think it is. The Messiah isn't necessarily going to be someone who rides in on a white horse with a sword and slays the Romans. Sometimes God takes small things and they blossom into big things. And then he goes on. And again, he said, verse 20, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took And hidden three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Again, Jesus undoubtedly had seen his mother Mary bake bread, and they would take leaven and they would put it into the bread so that the bread would rise. And we missed something because we don't have the Greek translation here. But when Jesus says three measures, he He, He painted a picture for the people who understood the language of the time. Jesus says, it's like a woman who takes a little ball of dough, because that's how they put the yeast. They would take a piece of bread that had already been baked, roll up the dough, and they would put it into the new bread. But when he says three measures, that was 50 pounds of flour. It was enough bread to feed 100 people. And so Jesus paints this big picture. He says it's this little ball of dough that's got some yeast inside of it. And the kingdom of God feeds hundreds. Because oftentimes God uses small things to do big stuff. And it's not just Jesus. Paul said it in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1 flip over there 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 Paul says for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful maybe talking to us not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul says the same thing. Oftentimes, God uses small things to do Big stuff. And that's, just, that's not just Jesus' words about the kingdom of God. It's not just Paul. It was when God decided, I'm going to start a nation. The people of Israel, the Jews. Who did God take? He took a nomad, a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were nearly 100, well past the age of child rearing. And God miraculously took them and made them pregnant and started a nation out of the least, the, the person that you would have least expected it to happen. And then fast forward and the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. And God could have raised up some some guy that spoke incredibly. He could have raised up somebody who was powerful and strong. But God chooses a guy guy named Moses. And Moses, we find him, he's a criminal. He's living on the backside of a mountain. He's a shepherd. He's run away from Egypt where he was raised 40 years before. And God takes this guy who was small in the eyes of the world, small in the, eye, in the eyes of people who were powerful. In fact, they didn't even know who he was. And God says, I'm going to use you to lead the greatest slave walkout in history. And then when God needs a king, he sends the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings out all of his sons except for one, the big strong boys, and Samuel goes through and goes, nope, 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 God's looking for a king, nope, nope, nope. Samuel says, are these all your kids? Well, we've got the runt of the litter. We've got little David, but he's not even here. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. And they bring in the smallest one, the one who had the ruddy cheeks. He was just a boy. Wasn't even invited to the family event. And God goes, he is the one. And when Jesus comes, the Messiah, where is he born? He's born in a a, a cave where animals were raised as a baby in the middle of the night in a small town called Bethlehem. And then Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And how does he do it? With a boy's sack lunch. And Jesus is is in the the temple of the synagogue and people are putting money in and a widow walks up and she drops in two coins, two small coins, two pennies. And that's what grabs Jesus' attention. And he goes, that's great faith because God oftentimes throughout Scripture Uses small things to do big stuff. And we're talking about being a remedy. We're talking about ministry. You probably didn't know this unless you took Latin in school, but the word ministry comes from a Latin word, the same Latin word that we get minuscule from, and many, it means small things. It's not always about, man, if I just had this extra thousand dollars if I just had this extra time if I just knew if I could just become bigger then God would make me better oftentimes God uses the insignificant so if you came in this morning feeling insignificant if you came in going you know I, I don't really have a lot to offer it's very possible if we look through scripture that God might just go yes I've been looking for somebody who doesn't have a lot to offer I've been looking for somebody who feels insignificant because I want to come into your life. The Holy Spirit empower you and we're going to do some big things together. And I'm really excited, God would say, about you being insignificant. Because let's be honest, all of your friends and all of your family know that you're insignificant. And that's why I want to use you. Because I don't want your friends and family to look at you, the great powerful person, go, well, yeah, he's great. He's got money and he's got gifts and he's got skills. Well, no wonder he's doing things. God says, I want people to look and go, how did that happen? How in the world did she do such an incredible thing? How did he speak that way? It couldn't be anything. I know him. It couldn't be anything other than the Spirit of God inside of him. God's often looking for the small, the insignificant, so that he brings glory to his name as he does some big things. It's not always the person that has the credentials. took a quiz earlier. We're going to do another quiz. Put this one up. You know, just think through this. How many of you can name the last five Heisman Trophy winners? If you could, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you can name the last two winners of the Miss America contest? How many of you can name three people in the course of history who've won the Nobel Prize or Pulitzer Prize? Okay, so we got a handful, three or four people. How many of you can name the Academy Award winner for Best Actor and Best Actress from 2012, just, I guess, the, a year ago? I mean, it's the most athletic, the most beautiful, the most brilliant, and the best actors and actresses on the planet. And we know nothing about them. So let's do quiz number two. How many of you could list a teacher who aided your journey through school at some point? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you could name a friend who helped you through a difficult time? Or name someone who taught you something worthwhile? That kind of hurts my feelings because not everybody raised their hand, which means today <laughs> isn't going as well as I'd hoped. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could think of someone who made you feel appreciated or special, right? So it's not the people always that have it all. The people that have impacted our lives are often the insignificant. They're not the most famous people on the planet. They're people like you and me that God has used to do great things. So if God could use them, why not you? Why not your family? I'm gonna read you this blog. One of our student's mothers wrote this. Her name is Delaney, the student. And I was going to tell it, but I, wonder, I, I think it, the mom writes it so much better than I could say it. And I've picked up halfway that the, the family, the mom and daughter, are going to Starbucks. She says, once again, Delaney wants to swing through Starbucks on the way to school, only she says that she's going to bring her own money and pay for it herself. Okay, fine. As I pull out of the driveway, I see that she's brought a $20 bill. I asked her if that was the smallest bill she had. She said no. Asked why she didn't just bring a five or something, and her reply, well, I didn't know if you wanted anything. Cue mom's aw, thanks, sweetie, but you don't have to buy me a drink. I order Delaney's tall hot chocolate, but not too hot, and proceed in the line toward the window. There's always a long line in the Starbucks drive-thru, always. We're almost to the window, when Delaney says for me to ask the guy how much the bill is for the car behind us. I look at her, and she's got this sort of small, shy smile on her face that conveys happy from a special part of a soul. Okay, I can do that. Turns out it was for another hot chocolate. Delaney says she wants to pay for hers and the car behind us too. The guy working the cash register is about 20 and I can tell he's touched and a bit surprised at my young daughter is spending her own money on someone she doesn't know. And he might have wondered why I, the mom, wasn't paying for the Starbucks. We told him to tell the car behind us to have a wonderful day. As I pull forward, I could see in my rearview mirror the brief conversation between the guy and the mom in the white SUV. Then I saw him check his computer screen and the mom dig into her purse. I'm quite certain she was paying for the car behind her. I hope it kept on going. I'll never know, but I'm going to believe it because it feels awesome to believe that. Mother Teresa said this, throw that quote up there for us. She said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Could a hot chocolate change the world? Probably not. But the hot chocolate plus the Holy Spirit can do miracles. Small things. Doesn't always have to be something big. So let me give you just some ideas. Try to give application. I'm gonna give you four things I know you can do one of them, and I just want you to think through. Some of these you go, these may not work for me. But here's one, just things that you can wrestle through with the family, maybe talk about. Could you sacrifice something for a week, sacrifice something small, and give the money to ministry? What I mean by that is this. Maybe it's for a week, you drink just water anywhere you go. And you take the $2.50 that Chili's was going to charge you for your drink, or the $9 for your Kentucky Fried Chicken mega jug or whatever it was going to be, if you took that just for the week and you said, hey, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to take whatever that is and I'm going to put it towards the church or I'm going to put it towards a ministry I believe in, it's something small. We're not talking about liquidating, liquidating your 401k. We're not talking about getting selling stock shares. We're talking about small things that God uses or can use to do something big. And you go, how could, a, how could some Cokes that I sacrificed during the week make a change? It probably won't without the Holy Spirit. But if God can take a boy's sack lunch and feed 5,000, what can He do with $30 worth of soda money? Probably a lot. Just an idea. You may not do that one. Here, here's number two. Doesn't cost you anything. Pray for 50 people by name this week. Now that, some of you go, well, that's not a small thing. If, but if you think of it this way, If I could pray for somebody by name in two or three seconds, as I'm walking through work and and I see Bob in his cubicle, as I'm just walking in my mind, I just go, God, I just pray that that Bob would come to know you because I don't even know if he's a believer. God, I I pray that you do an incredible work in his life and his family. Three seconds times 50 people. You're talking about less, less than five minutes out of your week. I mean, you could get crazy and say 50 people a day. But I'm saying, maybe try this and actually keep track. I'm going to pray for 50 people this week. It's a small thing, but who knows what God might do through that small thing as you go to the throne and pray for people around you. You could do that. Just throwing out ideas. Another idea. Sometime this week, double your dinner. Whatever you're making, double it up and deliver the, the extra to another family. Maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody in need, you, you, you make that call. That might be a, a pretty cool family event, though, too. Something to do as a family to gather and everybody have a part of, of making dinner and then, and then take it over. You know, make sure that something can freeze or you call so they know so it doesn't just, you know, go wasted. But something that you were going to do anyway, you're just doubling the ingredients and something small. Maybe you don't like these. Number four is, is good. Number four is just do something. Do some, if you don't like the three ideas I came up with, I was just trying to give some creative juices to flow in your brain. Who, the Holy Spirit, let Him speak to you, not me. The Holy Spirit knows who's in your life. The Holy Spirit knows where you're going. The Holy Spirit can nudge you. Just say, God, this week I want to do small things that you'll use for big stuff. And so, Jesus, I'm going to listen to you as you nudge me, and I'm going to go do some small things. I don't care. Those other three things are just ideas. Just do something. And then we come to this. Some of you have these in your house. These new light bulbs that look like the ice cream cones. I believe they're fluorescents. I don't really know what they're called. Compact fluorescents, fluorescents, thank you. Here's what we know about them. They produce the same amount of light as the traditional light bulbs we used to have, but they do it at 75 to 80% less energy. Here's what that translates to. If every American used one, Now, again, if you've got four people in your home, if you put four in your home, if every American used one, we would save enough energy to power a city of 1.3 million people. Or the entire states of Rhode Island and Delaware. If we all just plugged in one, if every American used one, it would be the equivalent of taking 1.3 million cars off of our roads when it comes to pollution and energy. Somewhere along the way, a company took something small and big things are happening because of it. Well, if a company can take a small light bulb and do big things, what do you think a big God can do with your small things? He's looking to take small things and do big stuff. We're going to continue this series, Remedy, for a few more weeks. It's going to culminate in our Collide Impact Weekend. I said this last week, I'll tell you again. If you want to be a parent who engages with your kids, let me strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to be a part of Collide Impact Weekend in Subway. Might be driving a car, might be bringing food, it might be hosting a home. I know they need site coordinators. And you might go, hey, my kid doesn't want me around. That's great. We'll put you as a site coordinator and there's a pretty good chance that your kid will never be at your site as you help lead a work thing. But you know what it does? It gives you a common story with your teenager. You don't have to ask them about the weekend. You were a part of the weekend. And you can tell about your experience driving or your experience at the worksite. And as you're telling them, then you ask them about theirs. And you know some of the same things. You, come, you can come Friday night and hear Michael Sawyer, our former associate, share. And you can talk about that. But what do you think? You're sharing the common story, which gives you opportunities to have faith conversations in your home. That's priceless. And you know what it is? It's a small thing that God might use to do a big thing in your family.